Today's program was brought to you by the Brooklyn Kitchen, a mom-and-pop operation since 2006. They provide the tools that shape our food culture. Visit them at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, or visit thebrooklynkitchen.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from an empties Roberta Pizzeria. What the heck happened here, Stas? Jack? It was, a, it was their holiday party. So I came in here this morning and I saw these guys have been cleaning everything up. Nothing but um, Papa John's and Domino's boxes. Whoa, 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 yep, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's right. Papa John's and Domino's. Yeah, I hate yeah. that kind of irony. So, so, the, uh, so you think it's like irony? You think they're yeah. just drinking PBRs? They make great pizza. I also sell bottles of champagne, Stas. So, so were you here, Stas? No, no, no. God, no. Yeah. I hate coming here. You know, I love I love Roberta's, but I don't I don't do their holiday parties. I it's just. It's Are you guys invited? A, yeah, just a danger zone. Yeah, I bet. yeah. Now yeah. I have slip into the danger zone in my head. It smells <laughs> like a nasty bar, though. Everywhere out there. What do you mean? It smells like old keg beer? Yeah. Yeah, like walk through. It's like they drank everywhere. Stas has her I hated college face on. <laughs> yeah, Stas. Uh, aside from biscuits and many other things, Stas is the like only person I know who didn't enjoy college. Yeah. Uh, no offense to uh, you know Leland Stanford Junior University. Or offense. It's junior, right? Or, or offense. <laughs> Let him take it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Hi. And Jack, Jackie Molecules over there, fresh back from New Orleans. How was New Orleans? Oh, it was so good. Did, did you have anything good to eat? I did. I had a lot of good things to eat. Uh, fried alligator for the first time mm. at Cochon. Oh, yeah. Cochon sure does it well. It doesn't just taste yep. like fry. Cochon's no. a good restaurant. I like that place. Yeah. A lot of boudin um, everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then some like classic New Orleans places. I did the turtle soup at a place called Upper Line. You know, it says they do it like like it would have been done a hundred years ago. Or yeah, did did you feel that way? It was clovey. You know, it was really clovey. Didn't have of. the sherry at the end. Yeah, and the sherry. Yeah, it did. It's all about the sherry at the end, Jack. Yeah, no, no sherry at the end, no love. No, it was good. Yeah, you ever read the old uh, documents on turtle soup and the different kinds of fat and the callop? What is it, calipash and calipi? Someone mm-hmm. out there will be a uh, turtle soup uh, expert. I think may- most people now just like you know. I mean, were they kill? They kill turtles in the back, or do they buy the canned turtle meat, That's, or what? I'm guessing it's canned turtle meat. Yeah, I'm guessing. I don't know. There's, well, if you look up, uh, what's the name of that book? What's it called? It's out of my head. Herders is the place in Minnesota, and the guy. It's called, I think, the Bull. Oh yeah, the Bull. It's not Bull Moose. It's like, but the Bull something cookbook. He has a bunch of them, and he's just this crazy, crazy like. Like, a lot of weird sexism in it, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of, like, historical fallacies. But one of my favorite parts is where he tells you how to chop the head off of a turtle, uh, Jack. There are two different ways. Would you like to know the two different ways to chop the head off of a turtle? Yes, please. Well, the first way, because remember, like, a lot of times he's dealing with, like, a snapping turtle, right? So uh, you stick a stick out, and they bite on the stick. And as soon as they bite on the stick, bang right? Chop the head off. That makes sense, right? Yeah. So what do you think the second way is? Oh, man, I don't know. Guess. I, I can't. Guess. I'm not, pull I'm not, it out? Yeah, no. yeah, that's what I was going to say. No, no. Stick its finger in the tail hole. 
up near the butt area, and then the head pops out because it's like, oh, hey, hello, and then bang, you chop the head off. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Tough way to go. Tough. Yeah, it's a real tough way to go. Someone get, someone gooses you, your head pops out of your shell and gets chopped off. You don't even have time to think about it, you know? No. It's not right. It's not right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, the thing is, is like the stick thing, right? It's kind of like why fishing is so, is so, well, old school fishing on a line is so interesting because you only get to kill the thing if it tries to kill something else. You know what I mean? Like only through the fish's own aggression does it become caught and eaten. Right, which is why it seems kind of fitting, you know. Mm-hmm. And same with the turtle going after the stick. Turtle's like, "Hey, crap on you, stick!" And then you have a cleaver, and you're like, "No, crap on you, Mister Turtle." You know what I mean? Like that's how it just seems, you know, poking your finger up its butt. I guess the turtle ends up dead either way. Uh, but uh, so sad news that happened uh, was it last week? It was one week ago. One week? Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, about a week ago. About a week ago, we were. Um, no one hurt, as far as I know, which is good. But uh, Sam Sam Edwards, S. Wallace Edwards uh, and son, we were trying to get them on the phone, actually, to answer someone's ham-curing uh, question and didn't know at the time that they were, like, at that moment having a large fire. You, have you heard anything about that, Jack? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's very sad. They're, you know, they're not going to be up and running for quite some time. Really? Like, uh, did they lose all their stock? Basically, or? yeah. It's terrible. Yep. So anyway, so um, really good people too. Good people. Best wishes out to uh, Sam Edwards, S. Wallace Edwards. Fantastic, uh, you know, ham curing, um, you know, family. They've been doing it for generations and generations in Surrey, Virginia. Um, they actually were one of the first people uh, in the U.S. that started buying uh, a lot of kind of. Uh, what I like to call better pork, like especially even like the heritage pork and Burks and stuff that uh, heritage meat sells. Uh, and when you lose your stock like that, it puts you out like a year. You know what I mean? Like they have stuff that's over a year old. So it's not like, uh, you know, you can just crank up and produce all the stuff that you had. You know what exactly. I mean? Not only that, but was it like, I'm not sure which parts got burnt, but aging rooms take years you know these big aging rooms take years to kind of get exactly where you want them uh and i remember once uh sam edwards told me that uh you know you could take him blindfolded into any one at the time i think he had three uh different big curing rooms and he said that they all had their own kind of uh uh feeling to them in terms of the uh microflora and fauna that live there that give the ams hams their um, particular characteristics and he said that blindfolded he could tell you which one he was in every time just because they had all developed their own character and so um yeah if i'm not mistaken those those rooms are no longer now yeah it's like yeah. and if you talk to you remember uh, you know the salamaria bilasi guys here in uh they, new york but now and also new jersey like i talked to them years ago too and like you know uh w- one of the you know things that you build up over a, a you know a long period of time is a stable uh curing and um an aging room because like I say like each one is unique and needs to be kind of built up over time and so it's just really sad uh, so even after like a year it's not going to be you know the same I'm sure they'll get back on their feet and you know because uh, they've been doing it like I say for a long 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 time and you know they're really good at it but our, our best wishes go out to them and um, you know I don't know if we, is, are we, do we, is the radio uh, 
we doing anything or or is there any sort of uh, yeah we're going to continue to kind of talk about it it's very fresh so we're just giving them a little bit of time but um you know we work closely with them it's one of heritage's main accounts i mean like uh they were buying their hogs from from heritage um so it definitely affected all of us and uh we'll definitely be reporting on it more i'm sure we'll follow up with sam soon um yeah well anyway so i guess i'll take a crack at the at the ham question do you uh, want to take a caller first yeah sure caller you're on yeah. the air Hey, it's uh, Harry from Chicago. Hey, how you doing? Good. I work here uh, north. Doing cell phone reception. Yeah, hey, sec, you're uh, you're cutting in and out a bit. Hold sec, see if you can move a couple of feet and then start uh, start again. Uh, is it better? Uh, yep. So I work uh, doing pastry and but I'm calling for a bartender who is trying to make a non-alcoholic Negroni. Hmm. He was saying between juniper and coriander and pine, he was pretty happy with like a gin component, but was wondering if you had any advice on recreating kind of like a mock sweet vermouth or Campari. Yeah. Well, I've done, uh, in fact, Jack, I don't know if we can search it, but we've, we actually gave a recipe for uh, a Campari soda out. It was a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, we did like a, a Campari variant. So you can do, um, like a water-based, um, you know, you just got to go to, you know, whatever. I don't know in Chicago where you get the stuff, but like, you know, here we have a couple of stores where that sell all of the various, uh, kind of barks and, and roots and stuff. Uh, so, you know, Calustians here is one and uh, dual specialty, uh, shop is another, uh, a couple others, but I'm sure you have some sort of local joint you can go. Um, I forget everything that is is uh, in the Campari because it's been a while. I think it's like uh, gentian, right? Try episode one sixty five. It's coming up that you talked about Campari there, right? To the listener, go back and listen. Campari to that. soda, yeah. So the, I think I give a recipe there. The vermouth, I've never tried to. Uh, I've never tried to tackle a vermouth, right? So if you're gonna do a vermouth. There's a couple of things, especially if you're going to do a vermouth for a Negroni, there's going to be a couple of things that you're going to need to hit. One, remember, vermouth is wine-based, okay? So in order to get it right, you're going to need uh, some acid in it, um, preferably similar acid balance that you'd get uh, in uh, a wine. So, uh, you know, some, some um, tartaric depending perhaps some lactic and perhaps some malic depending on that on the ratio that you're going to get out there um you could conceivably use uh grape juice because you're going to have to add sugar anyway because the vermouth is also sweet uh in addition to that you're going to have to figure out whatever herb base uh, you're going to want to uh, kind of mimic um the vermouth so you're going to need those three components you're going to need the herby component you're going to need the an acid component and you're going to need um some sugar because it's not you know in a negroni it's not uh you know typically a dry um a dry vermouth it's also typically a you know a darker uh a darker vermouth and so you might want to get some kind of brown or matterized characteristics in there as well um now Something you might want to consider when you're doing it because you're if doing an actual Negroni like it's a stirred cocktail, right, uh, in a non-alcoholic form unless you add some super bodying agents to it. 
I just don't think you're going to get the kind of viscosity out of it that's going to make it drink. Even forget the fact that there's no alcohol in it, but that it's going to make it drink like it's a Negroni. Um, it's going to have more of the bo- like a. Uh, Going to have more of like a like a juicy kind of um, body to it than, than a Negroni would. What I would suggest is is going like a little bit lighter on all the flavors and doing it in the style of a carbonated Negroni because the flavors of a Negroni carbonate very well. And once you carbonate something like that, especially something with uh, bitters in it, people first of all are used to um, like uh, you know the the sand bitter sodas, which are very similar to a Campari or a Campari and soda, and the addition of the gin components. And uh, the vermouth components, they carbonate quite well. Uh, and um, I think you might have better luck with making something that has an, uh, uh, the feel of a carbonated Negroni than the feel of a stirred Negroni. But that's just my, my feeling. What do you think, Stasi? Any feelings on it? That's good. Yeah? Jack? Cool. Yeah? Awesome. All right. All right. Well, good luck with it. Let us know what happens. Uh, shoot us a tweet at, uh, at Cooking Issues and let us know what happens. Or go on the, uh, on the board that uh, uh, they have here at Heritage Radio. All right, we'll do it. Have a good day. Oh, you too. Um, Remember those commercials like, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't believe that we still deal with the shitty cell phone mm-hmm. reception like that. Well, you know, it's like, you know, we, we can't get anything right. Yeah. Sorry. You know, you know what I mean? Like, we can't, get, we can't get, like, you know, the simplest things can't get right. I'll give you an example. Today, I'm... I'm Trying to you know get here and you know, the streets of New York. We did we did an admirable job like getting the city kind of cleaned up from the snowmageddon that we had here. It was like what twenty six inches or some some nonsense like this. Yeah. But I saw this idiot now. Not even a private idiot, like a city paid idiot, like paid by the three of us. Like we're paying this idiot, right? And I don't know whether this has any meaning to you, but he's plowing the street. Right, and he's got the plow adjusted wrong. First of all, he's plowing in a rear-wheel drive pickup truck that doesn't have limited slip differential. Okay, without weighing his bed down at all. So he's got this like hyper light bed that he's trying to drive a snow plow with, and and his back wheels he doesn't have a limited slip differential on it. Then he adjusts his freaking plow. So that it's too high up and he lets too much snow underneath so that he's running over like, uh, you know, like three quarters of an inch of slushed out snow and his rear tires are just spinning and burning rubber and he's going down the highway, uh, down the street with his tires going like and the truck is only going like. You know, half a mile an hour or, or two miles an hour because it's the equivalent of just like, you know, crawling along because he's burning his back wheels up because he's a freaking moron. Did you help him? I was late to come to the show. But what am I going to do? Knock on his window? Hey, hey, jerk. Learn how cars work. You know what I mean? Like, was that what I'm supposed to do? Mm-hmm. First of all, if you own a pickup truck, I don't know, is this, is this being like stereotyping people? But if you own a pickup truck, you're supposed to know roughly how vehicles work. No. I don't know. I just don't know. And then, and then, just to show like how crazy New York can get sometimes, a guy was was you know that you you know the term busker stars mm-hmm. busker. Oh man! But I'm sure I'm That's, sure Jack, as a musician, you hate yourself oh, some my buskers. Goodness, I hate buskers like Stas hates biscuits. Oh yeah! Boom! <laughs> I hate buskers like Stas hates biscuits. So, Anyways, so so th- first of all, first of all, first of all extremely one of these dudes with the extremely loud like tremulous like you know trying to do the crooning loud voice oh, no thing. and you ready for it 
Rick Astley, never, oh, never going to give you up. God. I swear. God, I swear I to God. Everything. I got Rick rolled in the freaking subway. And the dude, <laughs> he, he, was, he was only off key every once in a while. So actually, I was like, you know what? If you're going to be a jerk, whatever. But like, it's, the guy was louder than a set of freaking bagpipes. I could hear him two platforms away on a different freaking level. And like, like we're sitting there. Everyone's standing on the platform. Looking at each other, being like, freaking Rick Astley? What? You know what I mean? It's like, like I didn't have to just step through like a bunch of mire and slush to get here. Now I got to get Rick rolled. Oh, man. Anyways, it's no offense to Rick Astley, you know. Um, the guy, I didn't want to look over to see if he was wearing that long tweed coat that Astley, isn't it tweed or does he wear I camel hair? Remember, he's wearing like a long coat in that video. Mm. I can imagine it. Just rickroll yourself and you can find out. Rickroll yourself. I don't feel like I should be the only guy that has to freaking, uh, you know, deal with that. Anyway. Hey, quick, quick, quick shout out to Pedro who was uh, introduced to sous vide in the Cooking Issues show and he did veal cheeks, eight hours, 82 degrees. And man, it was so good. He got a small tear in his eye. Oh. So he's very proud. I like that. I like a small tear in the eye. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I'm not going to answer any freaking questions, am I? Like, like uh, certain things when you get them. Mostly for me, it's things that bring up like childhood memories. They can bring like a tear to my eye, like in a restaurant or something. Where Stas is the exact opposite. Anything that reminds her of her childhood, she's like, I hate this. What about lemongrass? Yeah, I don't like it. I didn't eat it growing up. You just smelled it in the garden? Yes. And then you had a universal hatred for it? Yeah. Well, Did you get bit by something in the garden? And, what? Uh, I used to chew on it. Like, I don't know. Just don't like it. Ah, crazy. Anyways. So, like, uh, I remember a baby lamb I had like that at a very fine restaurant. I was like, or when I went to Danielle and they did the, the Gary Dome, the, ta- the, you know, the, the table side service, but they did it so old school that I was like, oh, so old school. That's when, like, you occasionally you want the hyper old school. Yeah. Something else I'm going to mention real quick before I actually answer this question. Um, so, you know, I told you I bought this wet grinder, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, but Stas, you remember the wet grinder that, that we made, the, uh, used to make the chocolate and the, uh, and the, and all the nut butters and stuff like this. Anyway, the one that I had broke, so, and I'd never ever used it to make real, uh, real, you know, food with it that it's intended to do, namely things like dosas and idlis and other. And so, you know, for those of you that don't know, like the dosa is like the, the, the so you, you take, uh, Urad dal, which is like this, like split, you know, um, you know, black gram that would, but it's you know dehulled, so it's white, and you soak it and you grind it, and that becomes like a mucilaginous paste, and you mix that in with um, idli rice, which is parboiled, so the starch is already somewhat um, uh, pre-gelatinized, right? So it's almost like using a pre-cooked starch. Well, it is like using a pre-cooked starch, and then uh, but it's dried, so you soak that and you grind it, you mix those two together. I did about three uh, parts rice to one part of the uh, of the dal. Uh, and you let it ferment for a long time, and it actually makes you can make these you can make these crepes, which are and you put fenugreek seed in it too. You can make these crepes, which are like dosas and they're crispy, or you can make these things that look like little frisbee pies, little uh, what are the, you know what, what are those things called, Stas? Those little like they're they look like they're puffy, they're puffy, but they're like discs. You know what I'm talking about? Anyways, uh, like an like an incrustable. Remember those wretched things made by Smuckers? Oh or my goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah they look kind of like that. But anyway, but they're steamed. Um, they're, and they're delicious. Those are idlis, right? So I've been practicing with this, but I've started – I just – I've decided I freaking love this wet grinder because it's just such a pleasure to use. It's so quiet compared to like the Vita Prep. You know what I mean? It's just like whoo, just grinding the stuff. Anyway, so uh, Dax and Booker did not like uh, plain uh, idlis. They didn't like them, right? So I took uh, – 
we did the potato bar again over the weekend, as I suggested someone else they do. So I took some of the veg chili because for some reason Dax wants veg chili on his potatoes. And so uh, I put the veg chili inside the idli and steamed it so that the inside of the idli was filled with chili. So right there you have chili idlis. Chili Idlis. Then, Stas, here's what we're going to do. I put this on the Twitter, but since you don't read Twitter, I can, I can tell you this. When it's the first are time. we doing this? We've got we to rent something. We're, we shouldn't actually do this, but we really should. We should oh. rent at San Gennaro's. We should rent one of the booze and make Little no, Italy Chili Idlis. And if you could say it five times fast, I won't make you do it. No. Little Italy Chili Idlis. Have you ever done anything like that? What? Like a street pop-up? Have you? Yes. Well, no, that's in your truck. <laughs> that's a truck. No, we did both. So you did a street? I have, never doing that I have actually again. served things at street things, but not for a long period of time. Never again. Well, then you have to be able to say it fast. Can you no, say it even I'm once? Not doing can you it. say it even once? No, I can't. Jack, can you say that tongue twister? Uh, I, I had to look at it. Little Italy, chili, Italy. Little Italy, chili Italy. Ah, yeah, you're better. You're you're a you're a better man than Stas is a woman. <laughs> okay, she's just weak. She's just sitting there like no, I don't futzing around on her on her phone, not even trying I'm to say. Screwed it. for the car on Thursday. What car on Thursday? She's talking about her travel plans for Thursday with Aren't radio people who don't care. We get it, but we Stas, you I have the entire rest of the day to discuss your Thursday travel plans with me. The entire rest of the day. In fact, look, we're not even going to have lunch here because there is no lunch here today. Clearly, we could be yeah. discussing that at any is. point in time. Maybe we're going to be hanging out at Booker and Dax. We have a bar meeting, people. I don't know if you're interested in that. After this, we're going to go to a fantastic bar I meeting where we have plenty of time in to our discuss. Personal lives. They no. always ask for more personal. But like, but they don't care that you can't find a car on Thursday because they're not like hanging out with you on Thursday. They wish they were. They might still have some Papa John's for lunch here, but. By the way, uh, a true mom and pop operation since 2006, the Brooklyn Kitchen provides the tools that shape our food culture. They stock a curated variety of pots, pans, knives, small appliances, and other kitchen essentials. Their grocery department works closely with local farms and food artisans to bring you the tastiest fresh produce, dairy, and pantry items. Their teaching kitchens allow them to offer a wide breadth of cooking classes. From knife skills to pig butchering, from cooking for couples to pickling and canning, from home brewing to pie making, something new is always happening at the Brooklyn Kitchen. Visit them at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, or visit thebrooklynkitchen.com. I have a question that I think we missed in the fold here through email. Do you mind if I jump in with it? Sure. Okay, cool. This is from Javier... uh, Gutierrez, I can't say it. Uh, I'm another one of the crazy guys working my way through the archives and can only thank you for sharing so much knowledge and the many hours of entertainment. My question is related to making pizza at home. I want to create a uh, Napoli-style pizza. Okay. But haven't been able to make a dough that when baked is thin and light. I've used many recipes from Reinhardt, Heston, and others, but none have worked for me so far. Do I need to lower the yeast content or increase the hydration? Or am I failing to make the pies thin enough to achieve the desired result? As far as the sauce for the pizza, what are important things to consider? I know in previous shows you've mentioned adding anchovies, but what are other good ingredients to make a killer sauce? Would appreciate any tips, techniques, or a recipe that works for you. And for background, he makes them using a technique from Heston Blumenthal's show, In Search of Perfection, where you crank the oven as high as it goes, heat a large cast iron pan on a stove, move it to the oven to use as a base to create a good and fast crust. Hmm. All right. Get all that? Yes. So, you know, okay, a couple of points here. I think, uh, you know, what Jeffrey Steingarten always used to say uh, is that the only important thing in a pizza really is the dough. Like, and everything else is just, you know, window dressing 
for the dough. Uh, and if you don't focus on the dough, then um, you're hosed, right? And most of the people I know that make uh, really good dough, and this is the way I do it too, um, the trick to it is extremely long fermentation times, right? So, you know, a very small amount of yeast fairly high, you know, not super high, but fairly high hydration and just very, very long rise times. So you can do that uh, a, num- a number of ways, right? So you can start with, uh, you can start with a, like a more normal, like the easiest way to do it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Math- Matthew, uh, uh, from, um, Motorino, he, like, he, he actually called me out because what, what I had done for many years was you'd make a dough that was relatively high in hydration I forget what I – not super high. Like I was doing like I think somewhere in the mid-60s up to – I think mid-60s to 70, somewhere in there. And then um, you – you know, I would under-yeast it. I would let it start rising and then I would throw it in the fridge to retard it for – like 24 hours or like, you know, 18 hours. I'd pull it out like four hours before I wanted to make pizza. I would make all the doughs individually. So like the night before, I would I would break all the doughs individually into uh, quart containers. I would spray Pam into the quart containers, throw in the dough, cap them, and then throw them all in the fridge stacked so that I could pull them all out and then dough for dough, bang, 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 just go, right? That's how I would do it. But then uh, – you know, Matthew was like, you know, that's great, I guess, if you're going to be a jackass. He's like, why don't you – like, why – like, just use less yeast and then you won't have to do the fridge retarding step. You can just let it go. So, I, you know, I, I've tried scaling further and further back on the yeast and just letting the rise time be uh, longer and longer. Uh, also – I wouldn't hold back on the salt. Salt is going to de- is, will decrease the yeast activity, but it will uh, leaven over time. And I think most of the people who are doing, I don't know how they do it here actually, but I think most of the people that um, you know I've spoken to, uh, you know, who really like the the job they're doing, it's just a matter of either using a re- a, a retarding step in the fridge or uh, just having a really long uh, gradual rise time. Uh, and I think most people use a fairly like on the wetter side of uh, uh, a dough. I know that Steingarten, when he was doing his uh, stuff in the oven in his home oven testing, was using uh, a very high hydration dough, like one that he could barely handle. Uh, I don't do that, but um, that maybe that's you know something you need to do if you're dealing with a more normal oven. I don't have a normal oven. Like I've jacked my oven so that I can get up to 850 degrees. Uh, so you know I can treat it like it's a real you know uh, pizza oven. Um, the pan might work. He said, Jack, he said he had the pan upside down, right? Uh, I believe so. Have to. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Mm. I mean, what's yeah. the choice? Um, you could get one of uh, Chris Young's uh, approved baking steels. I mean, you know, Chef Step, they have uh, that. I tend to still use stone because my oven can heat up a, a lot of stone really freaking hot. Um, but anyway, yeah, use that. Uh, as for the sauces, I think usually minimal is better. I like uh, thick sauces rather than thin sauces, but a lot of people hate it. What kind of sauce do you like, sauce? Uh, thin. 
You like thin? Mm-hmm. I like a thick, like not thickly. In other words, when I say thick, I mean the sauce itself has more of a pasty consistency. But it, you know, it's thinly applied. But Stas prefers a thinner sauce. But then you really need a good oven because you're adding a lot more moisture to the top, and the pizza won't last as long when it comes out. And you have to apply less. The trick to that kind of a thing is just application of less crap. Like the less garbage you put on pizza, usually uh, the better in terms of the texture of the dough. At least that's my experience. You Stas, mm-hmm. and the other answer, by the way, two things that are that 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 belong on most pizzas: a fried egg. Just put it on the top after the thing comes out. I love a fried egg on any pizza. I like thinly shaved, uh, very thinly shaved uh, potato. To- like thinly shaved the potato, toss it in uh, oil, salt, and pepper, and then just like throw it on. And I like that a lot. You ever had that, Stas? Mm-hmm. Sullivan's used to do that. Mm-hmm. They used to make a really good – I've had really good potato pizza in uh, outside of Rome, like really good. Um, but I like it just like thin kind of shaved. And But that – what Stas and I like the most is greens on our pizza. It would have been our day, though, to bring the greens, huh? And we're like, oh, I know, oh, like oh. jerks. So here are Berta's, right? Every day, we're like, every day, every Tuesday, we're like, can we get some greens on our freaking pizza? And they're like, we don't have greens. And we're like, how about this kale salad that you have? Can we just, and, like, and they're like, no, they don't want to do it for us. They specifically hate us. So here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to bring our own greens. It's BYOG. We're going to bring the greens. We'll toss them with a little like a, vin- a vinaigrette or something or something simple, and then we'll just put them on top. I like wow. un- I like uncooked greens on the top of my pizza, right? I like that. I like to smash it in, fold it in half, and have the pizza be like a freaking like salad pizza. Huh. See, I, I like that, but more if it's like a white pie, you know. No. I like it always. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. I like I like strong flavored greens. I like arugula that if way. You can tell your girlfriend it's good on the Two Boots uh, Cleopatra pizza. Nice. Uh, well, so Shout out F- to Two Boots. F- FYI, it's, you know, Jack, you want to give them the FYI on the Two Boots? What, the cornmeal? No, not the cornmeal. The oh, connection. Oh, the FYI. I, th- yeah, I thought we talked about it on the show. My girlfriend is... Uh in the Two Boots family. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, so what the hell? You don't need suggestions in New Orleans. I forgot all, all about that. Like, they're New Orleans family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and well, they're from New York, like New Yorkers, but, you know, strong tie to New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, uh, in the chat room, Stas, mm-hmm. we do care. Check out Costco Travel for cheap rentals. Thank you, oh. everyone. Who- oh, oh, now Dave's just a bad guy. No, <laughs> Dave's always, just a real meanie. You are like, let's change the format and be more interesting and include more people. So that's, I don't want to change the format. I want to get so, like so, Jack. Like most people. I, yeah, I don't want to change the format. What I want is to get maybe some like other style of guests in occasionally. To, like what, who? To attract I don't know. Like I gotta get someone to agree first. I don't know. Like who do you think would be interesting? Um. Maybe I don't know. Like when, when we get guests, they're usually, hey listeners, who do you want to hear on the show? Right, they're usually a very specific kind of guest, right? So we'll right. get like you know Mirvold or Chris Young or Harry right. McGee or Jeffrey Steingarten or Dave Wonders. They're very like you know, they're in the nerd realm. Let's say man friendly. Whoa, wow. man friendly. I didn't hear any females in that. That's true. Well, <laughs> cup for cup. She that she came on once. She said she hated Floridians. She did. Yes, which was awesome. Uh, did Jordana come on the show once? No. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. She did. She did. I came to the bar. She uh, and Jordana Rothman. If you want to, if you want personal information, Jordana Rothman, who is a good friend of <laughs> ours, used to be it. the uh, used to be the. Uh, f- she wrote uh, the most recent thing that she did that you should go buy is Alex Stupak's uh, Taco Book, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, anyway, so she's been texting me 
pictures of Nastasia Lopez with like laser beams coming out of her eyes, like exploding Mark Ladner's head. Or like Sounds Nast- awesome. Yeah, or Nastasia Lopez carrying already, by the way, a very scary butcher's knife, but also with like blood dripping fangs. Very interesting. Wow, she's very Sounds interesting awesome. photos I'm getting from Jordana. We got some other requests for guests here in the chat room. What do you got? We got Christina Tosi. Okay, yeah, very she, doable. She, like, well, who's that? Who's that? I said very doable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donald Trump, not doable. No. Uh, David Chang, Alex Stupak, and Dave's wife. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get her. We'll get her eventually. On. Okay. So uh, another thing is that Jack and I are talking about bringing the blog back semi live, semi live, semi live. In other words, like Heritage Radio. We haven't talked about it fully, but the the Heritage Radio would keep it from being like a, overrun by Cialis merchants, uh, right? Um, which is for a long time it was like Cialis merchants, I think. And then uh, and then we might occasionally start putting new live content on it, just because I'm sick of not having that outlet. But they won't be four thousand word like you know posts on nixtamalization anymore, unless I find myself like like nah, unless I unless I feel compelled to do it. But um, right. And then we go live. Maybe we'll do the starch program on that. The starch, you know, the year of starch. I've already started. Stas is like, I hate, you love starch. You're the freaking pasta queen. Sounds How could you hate? So boring. How's it boring? Everything you like is starch. Year hey, can we starch. play that? It's a starch. It's a starch. She likes a starch. Make it, make it, make it. It's my favorite. <laughs> we got to watch that movie. I love that movie. Big night. Oh, so awesome. I got a caller on the line. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hey, Dave and everyone. I'm I'm the uh, the ham question. Oh, here we go, Patrick. Yeah. How you doing? Good, good. I started to pester. I was just planning on hanging them this weekend, so wanted to make sure I wasn't having any mission critical errors. All right. Well, do you, do you want me to read your question so people know what we're talking about? So yeah. I, I have a question about uh, uh, hanging hams for equalization. So equalization, folks, is after you do your initial salting phase, uh, the salt is not equally um, permeated the ham. So you hang it for a little while and let the salt, as they say, equalize before you have the real um, you have the real uh, what's it called aging process go on. Uh, I have some hams that are currently curing in temperature controlled 35 degree chest freezer, uh, and I'm planning to remove them for equalization and hang them in an unfinished basement that is constantly roughly 50 to 55 degrees. Are there any pest countermeasures you recommend now? I was planning to put hams in stockinettes and hang them from the rafters. As the ceilings are low, they will probably end up only three to feet off, uh, three feet off the ground at most, three to four feet. I'm not sure how impervious the basement is to rodents. I'm guessing it's not, although the house hasn't had any food products in it for several years. I imagine bugs are less of a concern until warmer weather, but I don't really, uh, but don't I don't really know. In the spring, I was going to move them to a warmer zone for aging and coat in a fat rice flour mixture. Per, per, per Paul Bertoli's recommendations in the fantastic book Cooking by Hand, which is a great book, by the way. People don't read that anymore. Do you know that, Patrick? I don't think people read that book anymore. Good book, right? Really? Yeah, I don't it's think great. so. Great book. Love that book. Uh, but it sounded uh, like a coating in the equalization stage isn't a good idea. Um, because you want the moisture loss to uh, continue now, they will not be smoked. Okay, this is all excellent questions. So uh, on the issue of rodents, uh, so I forget which one of the burgers, I think it was Morris Burger uh, from Burger Smokehouse, once told me that uh, you know when he was a kid, what they would do is they would hang the hams from uh, very thin wires, right? Because 
rodents can't chew through uh, wire and they can't climb on the wire. And so they would hang the hams on these like super thin wires uh, from the rafters instead of from, from strings or ropes because the rodents could climb on those but couldn't climb on just a piece of uh, wire. He also said that when they used to cut slices out of the center of the, uh, you know, the, the, the frying slices for it, they would rub lard on the uh, faces as they, as they cut it mainly to stop the drying out to keep the stuff preserved on that side. And he said that they used to keep the hams like that for uh, a good long time. Now, they might have been um, – I'm pretty sure that they occasionally would smoke those things out um, so that to prevent kind of you know pests uh, from um, going going in there. Now, there's a couple of different kind of pests you need to worry about, right? So early on, if you have parts of it that are still, um, and I, I think I wrote down. Let me see if I actually did because I'm pretty stupid. I probably didn't. It's not here. Shoot. Uh, if you go online. Uh, the University of Kentucky and the University of Virginia have very good cooperative extension websites on uh, curing ham at, at home. The guy who did uh, Virginia Tech's one, I think it was Virginia Tech. Um, I don't think it was. I think it was Virginia Tech. Um, his name was Norman. Is Norman Marriott, and he has a lot of good information. And then uh, Kentucky folks have a lot of stuff on on pest controls. But uh, earlier on, you're going to have problems with. Um, uh, you could have problems with uh, flies, right, uh, like skippers and stuff like this. And so for that, the stockinette's going to help. But some people recommend actually once once it's you know done equalizing. I, you can't do it during equalization because it's equalizing and getting its you know initial kind of some of the moisture out. They, some people will wrap it full in paper, uh, which is still kind of like moisture permeable but not insect permeable. And so that's how they'll kind of do things. But once you get enough liquid out of it so that the, fl- the flies themselves aren't a problem, like the main problems that I've had personally is with various different kinds of beetle and with uh, mites, right? And so once you get mites in uh, in your space, right, they're like there. You can't – like you're not going to get uh, rid of them. You know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. used, they used to use a um, – and, and the name just went out of my head, and like I said, I, I thought I wrote it down in the thing, but the name went out of my head. I, uh, you, you, as you age, you just, these things go out of your head. But there, there's something that they use to fumigate the actual hams with, that is meant to be like a food grade uh, fumigant. And uh, but it's been it's it's being outlawed not for a food safety reason, but because I think it's like uh, detrimental to the ozone layer. So they they can't do that anymore. So there's nothing I think that you can spray uh, kind of directly on. The 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 you know meat except for they always say like rub a layer like if you have an effective area area cut it out rub a layer of oil over it uh, and some people put like ha- like hard alcohol and then oil over it uh, to try and kill uh, the things um, around there also like if you get a mite infestation or before you hang up some people uh, before you hang the meat some people now will take like pyrethrin like this like which is like I guess from chrysanthemums or something but it's like a you know non toxic um, Pesticide, and they'll like spray soak the uh, the wood in the area with it to wipe out uh, mites and stuff like that. And then they'll and I get I think it does mites. And then they'll hang it and, and they go. But like I've had mites develop, and you can see mites because they they make this powdery nonsense. Uh, you know where they're where they're it's actually I think their bodies that be, you know as they're dying they make this powdery stuff. It's not going to hurt much. The thing that really is gross are the beetles, right? And there's different kinds of beetles that eat different kinds of things. But the ones that I used to get would bore into the fat area. Um, 
and, you know, right where the fat meets the kind of uh, meat and skin area, and you'd see the boreholes, and they'd go in there. And I had a real tough time eradicating them. So I think your stockinette is good. Um, if you do, could, do you think I should put the, the paper? I could do the paper in the stockinette too, just or is that yeah? Overkill? That's that's what that's what, I've seen people who do that. I think that's the way Finchville sells their hams, uh, their paper in stockinette. Uh, and if you actually, if you look up. There's a whole curing uh, technique called bag curing that Norman Marriott from uh, Virginia um, kind of proposes where you put a fixed amount instead – of, instead of taking your hams and kind of like lay, laying them uh, you know, down flatwise and then turning them over occasionally and then just having the salt kind of distribute over like a big case of hams, like the, an alternative method is to add just the amount for that individual ham inside of the paper bat and cure it like individually like that, which is yeah, another that's, way to do that's it. sort of what, what we've tried so far with the cure. It's sort of a hybrid of the uh, Bertoli percentages but with – with using the bag, right. So I'm going to see how that how that turns out. I'm just curious too of 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 uh, I think I have eight of them with two different uh, two different pig breeds. Just, but I was just what when should I start pulling them? Because I'm thinking of just I want to see how long they can they can go. You know, with you know they're going to dry out a little more, but maybe you know keep some moisture in them. Because I'm just curious at the longer end what how the flavor is going to develop. But if you have four of them, when would you recommend pulling them, huh. you know, in, in sequence, just to taste, as long as they're good? Yeah, I mean, well, you can get, you know, uh, like an ice pick, right? And you can kind of judge uh, during the curing time based on kind of aroma uh, on the ice pick, like kind of where you think um, where you think the, the flavor is going. And I would also highly recommend weighing them uh, so you can kind of gauge how much moisture you're losing um, over time, um, but I've never, you know, I've never made my own from um, from from scratch. But you know, like all of the anecdotal evidence. So if you try to mimic the like the actual kind of uh, you know heat regimen you're going to get in um, in kind of like the classic ham production areas. You know, I wouldn't cut into one earlier than nine months. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I would, I would try to, you know, wait a year if you could. Uh, you know, I've taken nine-month-old hams and aged them an additional year, and they're hard, but they're good. You know, I think that a lot of for you, if you want to age them for a long time, is going to be that fat coating, especially. Um, especially on the face where the meat's exposed, because that's where you're going to lose a lot of moisture. And so, if you if you imagine in your head slicing a country ham, the the meat that's close there to the where it was attached to the pig's body, where there's no kind of a fat uh, covering, right? It's a lot harder and drier there uh, than it is uh, in in the rest. And so, that's what you're going to want to. And also, remember, if you're using Bertoli's uh, salt quantities, there are lower. Uh, there are lower salt content, so you could probably survive a higher degree of dehydration without having it taste consequently that much more salty. So long as it doesn't, so long as you have enough in there that uh, during the initial curing phase it doesn't spoil. But that's where the ice pick's going to help you. You're going to jab the ice pick in, and you're going to see what's going on. And of course, you know you don't need to worry about. Uh, I mean, if you do get some taint or spoil in the ham when you bone it out. You can just cut that part out. I mean, I I can't tell you. I've had you know so many hams that had portions of them that were not properly cured, and that part was bad, but the rest of the ham was still good. So you know, it's never a never a total loss. Yeah. So I mean, I think so. The plan is to 
where they're going to equalize is sort of this constant temperature, but the plan is after that to to uh, hang them in a place upstate where there's about a 30 to 35 degree temperature difference between day and nighttime most of the year. So, you know, when it's the summer, it goes up to 85 and it will drop into 50. So I'm guessing, you know, by everything I've read, which you've said too, is that that's going to be fairly beneficial to developing interesting characteristics. Yep. Yeah, up and down. So, like, uh, you got to wrap up. Oh, yeah. so like uh, that's the that's the reason the Travellini, uh, I think it's the name of them, the drying machines they have in Parma are so awesome because they they imitate that kind of um, that kind of cycle, that day night cycle of um, temperature, uh, humidity. Yeah. So like that's that's what you want. I mean, that's definitely what you want. Uh, and so, uh, but you should keep keep us uh, keep us posted either on uh, on the chat room or to my Twitter at Cooking Issues and let us know how everything's going because I love I love hearing the the progress of how these things go. Well, I think I think the first tasting won't be till the fall, so right. it might be it might be seven or eight months from now. Yeah, but like if you, ha- if you if you have a problem with insects or something, like let us know. It's you know it's interesting and you know, that kind of stuff's interesting to me, especially if you're not going to be there all the time. You know what I mean? It's uh, you don't yeah, want to. Yeah, that's it's sort of it's it's not a hands-on operation at all. It's sort of a let the thing sit there, yeah. <laughs> come back every few weeks operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's know what happens. Cool. All right, thanks for all your help. All right, cool. So I didn't get to any of this week's questions, but next week we're going to talk about preserving basil. We have a question from Thailand. We're going to talk about uh, these new, I, uh, this new weird uh, freeze, or this new instant coffee that supposedly is really good. Uh, but I haven't had it. So, like, if any actually, if anyone out there for next week can tell me something about uh, sudden coffee and whether anyone's had it or tasted it, it like sells out instantly. But so it's hard for me to talk about. But we could talk about it next week on the uh, show anyway. Also, I had a question on tandoors, which would take a long time for me to get to. So we'll get that uh, next time. And also a question on drying things out with sodium sulfate, which I'm not even sure how I should respond to. But we'll talk about it next time on Cooking Issues. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.